This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do, can do. This is Bill Duncliffe. I want to welcome you back to the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast, where the heroes and history of horse racing come to life. Last week, we revisited the career of the great, somewhat forgotten Philly sprinter, Tawi. Thanks to that beautiful girl, we were treated to the remembrances of Harvey Pack as well as Randy Schulhofer, son of Scotty Schulhofer, a trainer for this weight-bearing sprint machine in the latter part of her accomplished career. As I said at the end of last week's podcast, one of the many gifts I receive from doing this podcast is the chance to wander down some avenues I may not have otherwise explored as I dig in on my research. Scotty Schulhofer passed away in 2006, but his legacy of great horsemanship will live on for as long as people talk about the days of renowned sportsmen stables and the patient trainers with whom they entrusted their valued stock. Horses Scotty trained included names like Honey Fox, Mac Armada, Smile, Crypto Clearance, Lemon Drop Kid, and the list doesn't stop there, as you will hear when we talk with Scotty's son, Randy. Along the way, as we discussed his dad's early career, we got to discuss a question I puzzle over every year at Saratoga, as I handicapped the first race on Wednesdays and Thursdays there. And like Randy, I've never really found the answer. So, uh, your dad, um, um, I know, you know, you, you, you did a lot, a lot of work with him, but he, he, was, he was born into a horse family, right? As, as, a, as, as a young man, you mentioned to me before, right? Yes, uh, dad's uh, dad, uh, my grandfather, ran a, 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 a riding stable, mm-hmm. you know, tended to people's horses and uh, boarded horses, and then the people that boarded horses, they would go, I believe, to New Hampshire in the summers, and he would trailer the horses up there for two, three months, I don't know exactly how long, and mm-hmm. come back, but he was a horseman, he was a horseman. And, of course, he was born in the, the heart of uh, South Carolina racing country in, in Aiken, right, or in the Aiken area. Is that correct? No, he, he was born right in Aiken, right on Whiskey Road. Okay, uh, okay. I know, I know where the house is. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, that was a winter home mm-hmm. for a lot of people coming from New York racing yep. and whatnot. And, and Dad started uh, schooling uh, jumpers there for uh, Oleg de Bassoff. Okay. Was, uh, that's that's where Dad started with the jumping horses. And he, he, your dad, eventually became a steeplechase jockey for a number of years, correct? Yeah, he was a rider for thirteen years. Yeah. Okay. He was he was a he was a leading jockey for I think ten of it, uh, leading steeplechase rider. Uh, but that it was a more they had a lot more races. Back I was then. I was just going to ask that. That's what I was going to ask. There must have been a lot more races back then, and probably more of a uh, oh yeah, 
a circuit, I guess, right? Uh, but but was Steeplechase mostly confined to the East Coast? I I, I don't know to be honest with you, uh, but I you know it was all through. They would ride through, you know throughout the East Coast. Uh, they never went out west. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about. It. I don't think you really hear about it from you know. Uh, no. Really, from probably Kentucky on on west, I guess, right? And right, I right. think of it more like Maryland, Virginia, and South right. Carolina. That's where a lot. Yeah, that's where a lot of the races were throughout the uh, Maryland, Virginia, that that area. Well, you know, New York had a great jumping circuit. Well, New York, too, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Saratoga, they that's where they had the the. the you know that was as you know Saratoga was, but that was the premier meet for the jumping riders for the jumping circuit was Saratoga. You know that brings up a good question. Um, what is it about a thoroughbred that somebody looks at and says, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I always wonder about it. What is it about a thoroughbred that someone looks at and says, "Hey, that horse will make a good jumper"? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always we. we uh, well, we had a uh, we had a real good horse. Uh, well, he ended up winning the Breeders' Cup Steeplechase race. Uh, Clarence Code. We sold him before that. Okay. But he he won the Breeders' Cup, and we sold. He was a flat horse, and he he did all right. And uh, but the guy was looking for a jumping horse, and and uh, you know he was a he was a turf horse, and he bought him from Dad. I mean. Dad owned him and, and, and bred him and sold him. Okay. And he went on to, to, to but they, I mean, they paid a nice price for him. He wasn't, I think they paid a hundred thousand dollars for him. Oh but, wow! Uh, wow. He, he went on, he went on to, went on to win the Breeders' Cup, uh, the Steeplechase Breeders' Cup one year. Uh, it's Clarence Code was his name. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow! Wow. That's a, that, that's a big number. They obviously had confidence that they were going to do something with him, uh, paying a hundred thousand for him. Yeah, they liked him. The guy came. I can't remember the, the guy or the jockey came out. He he, he test he test drove him. He, he galloped him and everything, and liked him. He was a sound horse. I always like to remind people for whom the history of the mid twentieth century is further removed from that every one of that generation that built our world of the latter part of that century had their lives interrupted by World War II. Not to mention having earlier been disrupted by the Great Depression. And yet, like Scotty Schulhofer, they came back and conducted honorable lives characterized by hard work and achievement. For Scotty, the disruptions didn't stop with global events, though, as you will hear. With a growing family and those personal disruptions, it was time for him to take his career in the direction of training. Well, just going back to your, your, your dad there, Randy, um, like everyone of that generation, he had his, his life interrupted by World War II, right? Um, and, and he... I think you said he was in the European theater, um, correct? Yes. Yeah, he was in the European theater. Yes, towards the end of the war. Okay. Okay. Oh, so he was not. He was not there the whole. Well, the, yeah. Toward that. That's when the European theater was really in action. Was towards the end of the war. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Toward yeah. the end, and he actually he had been injured. Uh, he had taken some shrapnel in his hand okay. and ended up in the hot in the, in the hospital and. Uh, the nurse made sure he stayed there because they knew the war was coming to an end. So, <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. Well, so he he what what made him decide? Uh, maybe it was just age, and uh, yeah, I got to do something different now. 
What made him decide to make the transition, Randy, from steeplechase jockey to trainer? Did he ever talk to you about that? Yeah, he had been injured a lot. He uh, broke his back, his collarbone. He had an open fracture collarbone. They had to graft bone from his hip. Uh, he broke his kneecap. He, they, uh, he, he broke it. They thought it healed. And there, one day, about four or five months later, there, he said there was a loose horse, and he ran out of the barn and, and turned quick, and his kneecap broke and slid halfway down his shin. Oh, and, God. Uh, oh, my gosh. And then he had... And they had to remove it, but he he had a lot of. But back then they they didn't. Now they run through brush basically. They don't jump. And uh, back then there was you know logs and water on the right. other side of the jump. It was a different. So uh, he he had gotten beat up a little bit. So. And and I, three children. I think he thought it was time to quit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and thus began a Hall of Fame career developing Hall of Fame horses with his son by his side for both the highs and the lows. Well, he made a he made a good transition, obviously. You know, he privately trained, as you said, um, and then, you know, took over for the Tartan um, horses. But, you know, uh, one of the things I was really struck by, look at the number of horses that, you know, he and, and you trained um, over the years. It really didn't matter if they were two-year-olds or older horses, whether they went short or long or dirt or turf. I mean, you mentioned... Mac D'Armada and Smile, uh, Honey Fox, Smile, Crypto Clearance, Sewickley, Fly So Free, uh, un- Unaccounted for Colonial Fair, Lemon Drop Kid. I mean, they, they, the list goes on and on, right? Oh, yeah, Exogenous. Uh, who else? We got, uh, we got a, uh, Tapiano, uh, Don't Worry About Me, Basie. I'll never forget Basie winning uh, Delaware Handicap when it was at Saratoga for a few years. Dad told Kuge in the paddock, hey, listen, we got Life Magic and Heatherton here. If you can finish third, I'll be happy. Good thing he didn't follow instructions. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, that's great. <laughs> so yeah. he he obviously just, you know, to me, you hear about a lot of trainers and they have a, a, a program. He didn't have a program. He had an eye. I mean, sure, he had a program, but he had an eye for what is this horse how can I get the best out of this horse? Not how can this horse fit into my program, right? Right, right. That's a good way of putting it. Bill. That that dad figured them out, and you know he, he learned a lot from Nayrud, and he said that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of patience, and he never trained one too hard. When when they first came out to run the first time, if they won the first time, they were a really a good good horse because they were not tuned for the first race. We usually we usually you know back then you could run them a, a time or two into fitness. Yep. And yep. Uh, nowadays, hell, they want them running right out the box. But uh, but and and Dad was given that luxury to run them when he wanted to and and when he knew they were ready. And I mean, we had some horses that came right along as two-year-olds in the, you know, early in the year, and then other horses that didn't race until their three or four-year-old year. So, like you said, it, it just depended on the horse. Well, you mentioned before that uh, it's it, it a different kind of owners back then, too, right? He, he and he would be granted the luxury, if you will, of of time to figure them out, right, and and figure out when they're ready. Yes, you were. Back then, you trained 40 horses for one man, and 
You were given that luxury. You could take, send them home. You could go on with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you could give them time. You know, horses with shins, and you know, you, you keep them in the barn a lot of times. I know a lot of times when we wanted to do a little, you know, shin work or stuff on horses, they wanted them. People would like them going to the farm because it was, you know, a little more economical. Yep. I guess that's the way I'm putting it. Yeah, sure. Which is, I, you know, you understand it's a different game now. Yep. And, uh, but that was where I think any trainer benefits from that luxury. And, and Dad took well, good advantage of it, and it worked out well. You know, Randy, you mentioned something else, too, that's interesting. I was talking about this with uh, Abby Fuller, who wrote, you know, Mom's Command to the Triple TR. Oh, yeah. I was talking to Abby about this the other day, that you used to be able also to have races where you would kind of race them into shape. Um, or, or, you know, just race them because, uh, actually, she talked about uh, Mom's Command running in the test before she ran in the Alabama because she needed a workout anyway. And they said, well, let's, let's run her in the test. Um, you know, seven, eight. Yeah. yeah, grade one workout. But but that was not uh, un, un, uncommon back then among trainers, I think, to, to race them just to, you know, keep them, you know, they're ready to go. Let's race them. Well, yeah, that that was Nehru. Let's get them, get them, get them to go a half mile and 50 a few times, get them located out the gate and go on and run them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, was his, that was his philosophy. Just go on and run them. Let them get fit in a race, a couple races. And, you know, it, it was – and you could – like I said, when they – for Dad, when they went first time out of the box, who was it, Montreal Red? We had a few crypto clearance one first time out of the box, I believe. Here, crypto won at five and a half furlongs and ended up – Oh, wow. Being a mile and a quarter. Wow. Being a mile and a quarter. Yeah. Being a mile and a quarter horse. Yeah. You know, he'd run <laughs> yeah. a mile and an eighth, a mile and a quarter. So uh, good, good good horses are like a loaded gun in a baby's hand. They can go off any time. So. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> but no, Dad, we were like Dad was lucky to get a lot of good horses, and and also being able to, you know, have patience with them. Yeah, I guess that's a good yeah. way of putting it. And you mentioned um, exogenous Randy. He was not without obviously some experiencing some tragedy too and you were around when that happened uh you were you were working with him when that happened right oh yeah well i i i trained exogenous okay all right she uh she uh she she dad was going to send her home and that winter in florida and i begged him i said dad let me get this one vet uh dr nancy brandon excuse me dr nancy brandon i said let me get her to work on her dad was a dad didn't like a lot of she was an acupuncturist. Um, she manipulated okay. the chiropractic horses. I said, let me get Nancy to work on her. So Nancy did a wonderful job, and that's the reason why she did so well. The filly. And Dad says, well, you just take care of her then. And I said, fine. Mm-hmm. She, but she was, she, was, she was a quirky filly. I mean, she was funny. I'd, you have to go out with the pony with her. I always rode on the pony with her. She'd jump right over the back of the pony. She's something for frighten her or spook her. Oh, wow. She was, and I used, I used to say it then. I said, this this filly don't kill herself. She's going to be a champion. And she was five minutes away from being a champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was a good horse. She was a good horse. Yeah. Wow. Wow. She was. But, Dad, we, we had a, there's a filly that was, she was odd to train. Fleischer Free was a tough horse to train. He oh, was, really? Go he, ahead. 
he was tough to train. I mean, at Saratoga, we go to Claire Court, little, I think it's about three-eighths of a mile track, maybe a quarter of a mile, because he he, he'd run off. You'd have to you'd have to stay with the pony, and we'd go up there, and he, he'd turn him loose and <laughs> let him go twice. Turn him loose, and he'd go twice, two, three times around, and he'd say, pick him up, and I'd pick him up. Lord, my wife would gallop him. But he'd find ways to do it with the horses to figure out how to train them. Yeah, yeah. They, they were all they were all different. Some were some were really easy, but some were quirky. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I remember uh, talking with um, Ron McKee, who was the owner of Rosa Robata. Who she was another one who had a nose for the. Well, she had a nose for the top three. Uh, not always a nose for the wire, but she had a nose for the top three running against like Beautiful Pleasure and other horses like that. But he said. He, I'll never forget. He said he, she was not the kind of horse that you brought the kids around to visit her in the barn. You know, <laughs> right, right. So now, so how long did you work with your dad, Randy? I graduated high school in 1980 mm-hmm. and went uh, right to New York to work for him. Okay. So he he retired in I think 2001. So it was 21 years. Okay. All right. So, Okay. When I first started with him, we had 12, 15 horses down in the what they call the hole at Belmont Park. And the hole? Uh, what is that at Belmont? I'm curious. I haven't heard that one before. Well, if, if you're, it's a part of the barn area. It's down near Hempstead Turnpike, and it's it's down in a low area. I can't remember. Barn 30 through 37. Or okay. Something. It's right on Hempstead Turnpike. It's down in a low area. They just call it the hole. Okay. So, All right. Uh, yeah, and then we worked our way. That, like Dad says, Randy, when I first started training horses, I was on Millionaire's Row and worked my way right back to the hole. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, and then he worked his way back up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. I, can, I, 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 I tell you, over the years, I think we were almost in every barn at Belmont Park except Sugar McGahee's. <laughs> okay. Oh well. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that was a private barn. For those who did not know or don't remember, Exogenous came into the 2001 Breeders' Cup Distaff at Belmont off of wins at the Gazelle and Beldame at Belmont. Leaving the paddock before the start of the race, she flipped over on her back, incurring a fractured skull and ending up being humanely euthanized. As you will hear, Randy struck out on his own after his dad retired in 2001, but ultimately ended up leaving the game to run his own business completely out of racing. We talked about the many challenges of a trainer's life, whether it be the day-to-day grind, the care and feeding of owners, Fending off your fellow trainers and other challenges that crop up along the way, like your horse is just not running as well, which happens to everyone at times. So, what? When did you strike out on your own, Randy? Dad retired in two thousand and one mm-hmm. after Fly So Free, and I took over the outfit, and all the owners stayed with me. I was blessed, and uh, went on from there, and had uh, had a lot of had. Three really good years. Won, uh, won some really nice races. Owsley, uh, who was it? Whitmore's Con. Uh, I had, I, I, I Union. Uh, what Union won or what was not Union won? Union Place. Just some other nice little horses I had that did very good mm-hmm. for two, three years. And uh, it, it was, it was fun. I, I well, I, I love the game. Yeah. Now, you ended up, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, 
I, I try and tell people this that don't know as much, or not that I know a lot about the game, but um, a trainer is only going to be as good as the stock that he gets. Um, and, and to a certain extent, I think the owner is as well, and they're, they're kind of agreement as far as the program for the horse. Um, sure. You mentioned sure. that uh, to me before that towards the end, you were running New York Breads in Kentucky one year because the owner wanted to do that. And, you know, that was obviously against your advice, but that obviously hurts your chances to keep the thing going, right? Well, yeah. It, 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 when you, it's tough. You got to run horses where they belong. You got to find where they fit. And, and that's where they're going to do well. And uh, when you start running horses where they don't fit, you're going to have trouble. And it, it, it's a trickle effect, too, because mm-hmm. it doesn't bode well for you. But I, I, I had a, the last couple of years were really tough. I just, I, what, just didn't do as well. Uh, Mrs. Vance uh, took her horses away. Uh, the first three years, I won for everybody but her, and uh, she, you know, mm. it's just what happens. It's, yep. She she left, and just you know, it was getting tough. And and then I, I I had a really good opportunity to to I didn't want to leave the track, but it, it it's turned out to be the right move after 15 years. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, I. I, I I miss it, but the game's changed so much. I'm in watching it. I'm I'm kind of glad I'm where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and I talked about this before. The, you have the, uh, the the super trainer operations now, right? With strings in in eight different states. Um, and you know, uh, one of the things you mentioned to me before, I mean, that I thought was really interesting, which I should have known that is, goes on. But you know, your training, your doing your best you can for your clients, but some other trainer sees that you've got a good horse and he or she is, is making a call to the owner saying, hey, I, I can do better with this horse than, than that guy's doing too, right? That goes on. That's You see, you gotta play, you're playing defense all the time, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very competitive. It's, it never was that way, but, you know, like everything, things change. Yeah. And it's, became very competitive in that respect. A lot of people wine and dine in your owners as well as you. And, you know, it's, uh, and you, you, in that game, you know, you have to continue to keep doing well. If you start having a little trouble, it, 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 it's hard. It's a tough game. I mean, I love it. I, I miss it more than anything in this world, but, I had two young children, and you know you have to make a decision. So, but it's greatest games, greatest sport played outdoors. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on that, and and yeah, I I you know, uh, I've never had to do this, but I, I look at a trainer's life, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you're up at what three or four o'clock in the morning, to, and you know you've hopefully got a good staff, and they're but they are. You know, you're getting the horses out early and doing what needs to be done, and you know, uh, there's no, there's no, there's no break, right? I mean, your your morning training is done, then you probably have work that you need to do before the races start, and then the races are there, and then they got to be cooled down. It's um, it's a, 
It's a twenty-four-seven job, right? Yeah, it's a life. It's a lifestyle. I mean, yeah. it. It. We. I had more fun. We with the horses racing between New York and the fall, going to the Meadowlands at night, and Kentucky in the spring. It's. It's a wonderful sport, and I mean, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, with a. You know, Dad having a big outfit and a lot of good horses. And, well, primarily we had a lot of good owners, and that's where the good horses came from. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. You, you, it's all day, every day, Christmas, New Year's, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. every day. I couldn't let Randy go without talking to him about one of his favorite races, and a particular favorite of a couple of Duncliffe boys as well. Thanks to Randy and John Luke Samin. Randy and the Duncliffe boys were happy. But Bobby Franco was not. You know, you mentioned Whitmore's Con, and I like I, I told you, I've got a good story about that. But um, he, you know, won the Sword Dancer. But it, you know, the year before in the Sword Dancer, when I think you probably thought he had as good a chance as he did the year he won it, he actually yes. ran into some trouble that year, right? Yes, Sean Bridgemohan rode him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember. Yeah, he had some trouble. He. Uh, he, he, you know, he was up a little closer. You know, when John Luke, John Luke's got a lot of patience or had a lot of patience as a jockey, and he would let him settle way back and then make that big, powerful run. But also in the sword, I don't think they had the pace the year before as they had the year he won it okay. up front. Okay. You know, pace helps, helps those sure. horses. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'll never forget after the sword dancer when he when Whitmore won, Bobby Franco was quite upset. He told me, "You shouldn't have won." I said, "It's official, Bobby. Look, <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have won." <laughs> oh, that's really funny. That's really funny. Well, um, I knew Bobby. We all knew each other. So. Yeah, and he uh, Whitmore had he had won the Bowling Green both years, right, coming into the sword yeah. dancer, I think. Um, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he won them two years in a row, and that was no horse has done that. Uh, yeah. That's no, <laughs> not a real outstanding record, but still it's something to say. No, it's something to be no, it's something to feel great yeah. about. You know? He I, was he was a fun horse to train. Well, I mentioned to you my 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 brother, my younger brother had a great story about Whitmore's con that my my older brother had been visiting. Um, my younger brother lives on on Long Island. And my older brother was visiting him in the summer, and he's up there on Friday night. And he said, "You know, hey, let's go up to Saratoga tomorrow." And John said, uh, "My younger brother said, great because Whitmore's Con is running tomorrow, and I saw that horse in the Bowling Green. I want to bet him." And uh, so they drove up that morning to Saratoga, and <laughs> up until that race, my younger brother was having one of those days where it didn't matter. What he did, it was just, it was just wrong, you know. Um, no, he snake bit. Yeah. yeah, you know, and we've all, we've all had those days, right? He, um, sure. He was, he was telling me about there was one race where a horse from Suffolk was running, and he wanted to bet it, and my older brother talked him out of it because what's this horse from Suffolk doing at Saratoga? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. you know what happens, thing. right? <laughs> the yeah, horse, yeah, yeah. The horse wins. Well. They came down to the sword dancer, and the way John described it, he had he had seventy dollars left in his pocket, and he said, "Man, if this doesn't happen, I I got to save ten bucks for a a Burger King chicken <laughs> chicken sandwich on the on the yeah, north way on the right way home." So <laughs> he held out ten bucks and put thirty to win in place on Whitmore's Con, and and I'll, I'll be curious. Now he said 
he knew when they were coming around the final turn that even though Whitmore's calling his way back, he said that horse is making the winning move. Did did you feel that way too? When he started, way he started passing horses, I was like, we got a shot here. <laughs> and uh, I, I'll never, yeah, yeah, I was that was exciting. I, I I knew the run he make. I saw how you know John Luke like in the race before got him to settle real good. Yep. And uh, and then made, and timed it right. John Luke. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, okay. That's a great. Yeah, John. <laughs> well, that was awesome. You saved my brother from a uh, chicken dinner sandwich at Burger King, and they ended up eating. Yeah. A, they ended up eating at Peter Luger's that night on Whitmore's Con. So. Oh wow, <laughs> Peter Luger's. Uh. I'm really grateful to Randy for sharing time with me to talk about some great old days, and I'm happy he's been able to make some great new days after leaving our game. As he said, it's a hard life, but it's a memorable one too. And as I said, I appreciate him taking time to share those stories. Thanks for joining me. We look forward to you rejoining us next week for another edition of our podcast. In the meantime, God bless you and all your loved ones. May good health, happiness, and gratitude for both be yours today and always.